Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. For you, I'm sure there's a little nervousness, probably some unknowns as well, but hopefully some anticipation, some excitement. Usually when we begin something new, we're excited about that. If you've ever done a major renovation in your house, you know that's fun at the beginning. It's fun at the beginning because you dream about what it's going to look like at the end, and then you go to the store and you pick out colors and you make all the arrangements and you hire your contractor and all of that kind of stuff. And then you get somewhere in the messy middle and it gets really messy. I mean, inevitably, like they run out of some product that you need or your contractor like changes the timeline. It costs more than you expect. And so you're in the middle of it and there are probably moments where you might say, I'm not sure if I want to follow this through. I'm not sure. I, I kind of just want to give up. If you're doing a kitchen renovation, you, you can't give up because, I mean, you got to eat somewhere in there. So can't eat out forever. So you know, we get into those messy middles and sometimes we can't give up, but other times we have the option. Sometimes we actually can give, give up. So our family invited a new member to join the, the Wolf Pack a few months ago. Um, her name is Honey. And so she's about four and a half months old. And most of the time, Honey is great. Like we, you know, we're training her. She's sleeping through the night. It's, all, it's, like, it's like having a toddler again. It's, it's kind of crazy. So most of the time, she's great. But other times, like we walk into the room to something like this, where, you know, a box of Kleenex all over the floor. And so, you know, we have those moments, you know, from time to time. And I, I confess to you that in the last two months, um, Sherry and I have had a couple of sit-down conversations where we've literally, we've sat down, we said, can we do this? You know, like we had adopted a dog, we had adopted an adult dog many years ago and didn't have all this puppy stuff. And so we did not know what we were getting into. So we've said, hey, are we going to persevere? Sometimes we, and we are, we are. We're, I mean, honey's not, not going anywhere. She's not up for adoption. So none of you can have her. But sometimes we, we have the choice to, to give up. You've probably experienced that. Uh, maybe on an exercise program that you started out with lots of excitement and then you're like, yeah, yeah, this is, I'm not, you know, I'm not following this through. Maybe a relationship. I mean, then it starts getting much more serious. Um, for some of us, sometimes it's our calling, what God has called us to, which is one of the most serious things to contemplate, am I going to persevere or am I going to give up? When we discover our calling, and again, those of you who are grads, hopefully you're in that process. Maybe you've already discovered this is what God wants me to do with my life, vocationally, relationally, all kinds of areas. What, what God has called us to do, there's a lot riding on that. And if we give up on it in the middle, there's, there's a lot of people who are going to be let down by that. The, the space between the launch and the landing of something is very dangerous because we, we start out excited, but we usually aren't quite prepared for the messes that come in the middle. Some of you are probably today 
hitting a messy point in the middle of your journey with something that God has called you to do. And I'm not talking about like things that you just decided to do. I'm talking about things that God has laid on your heart, whether that's relationships, vocationally, uh, ministry in the church. There's things that God laid on your heart, and you know he, he did, but you're in the middle and maybe on the verge of saying, I'm, I'm ready to give up. On this, I want, I want to just give you a moment to get something in your mind, if there is something, because it's going it, to, what, what we talk about this morning is going to speak to that situation. There is a lot, whatever that is for you, there's a lot riding on that, because God has assigned it to you, and there are people around you who are counting on you. So this morning, we're going to see God's perspective on the messiness in the middle of our journey. And my prayer is that this is going to help some of you to press on through that mess and not give up. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one on a seat close to you. 1 Samuel 16 is on page 265. We are in the series as... Steve said called Beloved, that is what the, the, the name David means in Hebrew, and we're studying the life of David, who will become Israel's greatest king. Last week, we looked at David's calling, and so his adventure begins, it's underway, and we're not sure what David's expectation was in his mind, but the path to the throne was probably longer and messier than he was expecting. Let's start in verse 14. Now, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay, we're studying the life of David, but Saul was the first king of Israel. And I want you to notice the contrast in this verse we just read and the last verse we looked at last week, which is verse 13. Verse 13 says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up, and he went back to his home in Ramah. So the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David last week. Now in verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Um, every time I read this, this gets me because it's telling us that God's perfect, holy, loving spirit, God's very presence, who was with Paul, with Saul, left him, departed from him. There, there, are two, there are two spirits in verse 14. There's the Holy Spirit of the Lord, and then there's a harmful spirit. I want to talk for a moment about both of these spirits. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit first. Prior to Jesus coming, the Holy Spirit came to specific people for specific tasks for a specific period of time. So all of that changed when Jesus came, and when Jesus came and, and made the sacrifice for our sins so that we might be forgiven, when, when we trust Jesus to forgive us of our sins. He makes us new, and he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us permanently. He does not leave. So prior to Jesus, the Spirit could leave, but now the Spirit cannot. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1. 
Paul says, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the fact that Jesus gave his life to cleanse over your sins and wash them away. When you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So there's a certainty, there's a security in knowing that God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and he will never leave us or forsake us. So that is true for us today. And Jesus had promised this as well in John 14. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you, what? Forever, even the spirit of truth, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you and I can be very thankful that God's perfect, holy, loving presence comes to live with us and will not leave. And and this is a great privilege for us because we don't have to be kings to, to get the Holy Spirit to come to us. God sent his spirit to David to equip him for the work that he had to do. But you and I get the spirit, whatever we're doing. Most of us aren't kings. None of us are kings. And so what a fantastic privilege that God would send his spirit to live with us. So for Saul, the spirit could be taken away. The spirit came on David at his anointing and the spirit left Saul because of his disobedience. In his place, a harmful spirit, verse 14 tells us, a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. So this naturally raises some questions for, for us. Okay, if you're using, if you're reading a different version, your version may say that an evil spirit from the Lord came to to Saul. Um, Just a note on that translation, that Hebrew word is, it's really not better translated. It's better translated harmful than it is evil because the word doesn't really have to do with a moral judgment. It's just that this is a, it's a harmful, the, the word is translated elsewhere, disagreeable, injurious, even ugly. If, if you remember uh, the story of, of Joseph in Genesis, where Pharaoh tells his dream, and he talks about seven ugly cows coming up out of the Nile and, and eating seven healthy cows. It's a really strange dream. He must have had something really weird to eat uh, before he went to bed that night. But So it says they were ugly cows. That's the same word that we have here. So it's not a moral kind of word that it's evil, but it is a harmful spirit. And we see that this harmful spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. That word tormented has to do with terror. It, it, really, it really gives us a window into what we start seeing with Saul as his mental health starts deteriorating here. So the question is, this is a hard question, why would God allow or why would there be a harmful spirit from the Lord to torment someone? doesn't seem like something God would be doing? And the answer is that sometimes God allows harmful spirits to operate under his control on a leash to fulfill his purposes. Let me give you a couple of other examples where this happens in scripture. It happens in the life of Job. So Satan comes to God and says, I, I want to make Job's life miserable. So God says, I will allow you to bring temptation into his life, but you're on a leash. There's, you can only go so far. 
Um, in the life of Simon Peter, we, we saw this a few months ago, if you were here for our study of, of Luke. Jesus said very shortly, very uh, nearly to his, right, right before his crucifixion, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And so God gave him permission to, to tempt and to, to make a mess among the disciples, but he kept him on a leash. This happened for Judas. So Luke tells us that Satan entered into Judas. So sometimes God allows these harmful spirits to operate, but they're always under God's control, and it's for a greater purpose that God is accomplishing. And what this illustrates is really the, the big idea that we're talking about today, which is that God's call is often fulfilled through messy means. God's call is often fulfilled through messy means. This seems a little bit counterintuitive, at least to me. I don't know if it does to you. Like I tend to think in terms of if God is purposing for something to be done in the world, then surely he's going to remove obstacles and have that happen more expediently than not, right? I mean, why would he put obstacles? Why would he make things difficult along the way? And yet we see over and over and over again that Apparently, God, evidently, God is not as concerned with efficiency as we are. Like we say, remove obstacles, let's make it go faster. God doesn't operate that way. He often operates on a more difficult trajectory and a longer timeline than we are expecting. So Saul's, Saul's torment by the Spirit is actually something that God is going to use in David's journey to the throne. We're going to see that as we read on here. So let's read verse 14 again with all of that background. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to Saul, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. So before we go on, let's just make a couple of notes here. Saul, we see, is pretty spiritually dull, I mean, Saul needs people around him to kind of point out and explain what's going on here. He, he doesn't see it him, himself. And he also needs people to point out to him what he should do about the situation. And so his servants make a recommendation. Unfortunately, nobody makes a recommendation to deal with this from a spiritual point of view. It's a spiritual problem, but nobody suggests a spiritual solution. Um, they go for, for music to soothe his spirit, which is, that's not a bad idea. It's just not the best idea. And, and one thing that we should learn from this is that seeking relief without seeking the Lord is not going to result in ultimate relief for us. See, if we seek relief in life without seeking the Lord to bring us relief, then the, the relief that we find is only going to be temporary. That's what's going to happen here for Saul. Sorry, I'm giving some things away here. But so they propose music. Saul says, find me someone. And so the kind, this, this is the kind of music that they are after to soothe Saul's soul. 
There's some beautiful, soothing harp music. Don't listen to this too closely because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose you. But, but this is what they're after. They're wanting some harp music in the background, so soothing. So one of Saul's servants knows a guy. In verse 18, one of the young men serving Saul answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So this is an impressive resume here. Um, I mean, not only does he, is he able to play music, but I mean, he's a, a warrior, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. Other translations say that he was a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. That, we're most concerned about that last one. You can have all the other qualities, and, and if you don't have the last one, um, obviously you're not a man after God's heart. So he's impressive. Um, but, and so Saul, Saul hears the resume, says, let's get him in here. But just keep in mind, Saul doesn't know anything about the anointing on David's life. But he's going to send for David. Verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David to his son Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So even though this was not a spiritual solution to the problem, God was gracious and allowed this plan to provide relief to Saul through David's music. And we should stop that now because I truly don't want anybody falling asleep. I don't want to fall asleep myself here. So what, what we have here, what we've looked at here this morning, th this is a really brilliant narrative. And the author has set up attention for us that rivals any multi-episode show that we might watch today. What, what he's done here, he's, um, God has brought the rejected king of Israel and his successor, the, the replacement king, together in the same space. So David didn't manipulate this. God orchestrated all of it, but God's brought David into Saul's service, and the rejected king doesn't know that the successor is sitting right in the room with him. So there's lots of tension here. I mean, we, we wonder, like, when is Saul going to find out? And what's he going to do when he finds out? So is David ever going to get to be king, or is he going to get, like, axed along the way? And what kind of bumpy road lies ahead? We're going to find out all the answers to those questions in, in the coming chapters, in the coming weeks. And I don't want to give away too much, but I do need to say that I hope that David was not counting on a quick fulfillment of his calling. Or he may be tempted to give up in the messy middle. 
David's calling happens in a moment, but the training program that God is going to enter him into lasts for over a decade. Some people estimate 15 years from the time he was anointed to the time that he was coronated. Here's how you and I probably would have written this story because we, we don't like messes. We would have written the story like this. God recognizes that Saul is not the guy, and so he rejects him as king. He withdraws his spirit, and he sends his spirit to David. He anoints him, and so he quickly removes Saul. Like he you know, sends him into battle, and he's killed by someone, or he just has a heart attack, or he's just incapacitated in some way. So David is put into place, and all that transition takes eh, a couple weeks, maybe a month. God doesn't operate that, that way. God is not nearly that efficient. And we see this over and over and over again with the, the heroes of Scripture. We, we see it in the life of Joseph in, in Genesis. Joseph, as a, as a teenager, has a dream that one day he is going to be in authority over his family and, and much beyond that, far beyond that. From the time that Joseph has that dream to the time that he enters into that service and that authority, 13 years. Moses. God calls Moses to release his people, to set his people free from slavery in, in Egypt. And Moses begins on that journey, and then he has a, a major sideline. And for 40 years, God takes him into the, the desert to, to be a shepherd, to learn how to shepherd people. And then when he gets his assignment, then it's just one problem after another again. And, and Moses, for good reason, was like, God, please send someone else. But that was God's calling on his life. And for David, all David knows at this point is that he's been anointed to be the next king. He has no idea how long that's going to, to take. He doesn't know yet that God's call is often fulfilled through messy means. But that's a lesson that he's going to learn in the years to come, and we're going to see it in the weeks to come. The same is true for you and me. The path to fulfilling our calling in life, what God's call is for you individually, personally, what God's destiny is for you, is it's going to be messier than you expect for it to be. And it is vital that you don't give up. Whatever that was earlier that you thought of, that you may be on the verge of giving up on, there are people counting on you not to give up. And God wants to fulfill his purpose in your life. When, so when you're tempted to give up, remember these heroes of the faith that have gone before us, and remember Jesus, the, the writer of Hebrews, says this in Hebrews chapter 12. And remember, Hebrews chapter 12 comes right after Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, all of these people who had all of these struggles. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' calling was to seek and to save the lost. And there was no messier assignment. There was no messier calling than, than that. I mean, he left his throne in heaven and he came to a broken planet with people who rejected him, who refused his, his message, who put him to death. He endured the cross, despising shame. And so that was Jesus' messy journey that you and I are the beneficiaries of. I, I hope you're the beneficiary of Jesus' messy journey this morning. I hope that you have come to him for forgiveness. That's the invitation he makes. He says, whatever you've done in your past, whatever you're ashamed of, whatever you're guilty for, whatever you've done to mess up your life, he offers forgiveness because of the mess that, that he was willing to go through. So that's the race that Jesus ran. You and I have a race to run. And we will not be kings, but God loves you every bit as much as he loved his beloved David. And he cares about the outcome of the calling on your life every bit as much as the king of a nation. So it's vital that you don't give up. So don't be surprised when you encounter on the journey more mess than you were expecting or that it takes longer than you thought it would. And don't give up because God, God's call is often fulfilled through messy means. Some of you this morning are at the start of an adventure. There's something exciting right in, in front of you and you're optimistic. So most of us though are probably somewhere in the messy middle of a lot of things. And some of you may be right on the verge of, of giving up on something. What you need to know is that the God who calls you to it will bring you through it. Just know it's going to be harder and take longer than you might expect. I'll close with a, a modern day story of someone who experienced this. Many of you are familiar with the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. She started out life energetic, excited. She was part of a family that was very active. So she grew up riding horses, hiking, tennis, swimming. And then when she was 17 years old, she went for a swim one day in the Chesapeake Bay and misjudged how deep the water was. Ended up breaking her neck, becoming a quadriplegic from the shoulders down. During her years of rehabilitation, in her autobiography, she recounted how she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, wanting to give up, and religious doubts. It was very messy. I mean, you talk about a messy middle of a journey. During her therapy, she discovered that she could paint with a brush between her teeth, and then she began selling her artwork, and that, founded on her faith in Christ, turned the trajectory of her life such that, to date, she's written over 40 books, recorded several musical albums, starred in an autobiographical movie of her life, and, of course, she's an advocate for people with disabilities. 
God's calling on her life has impacted countless people because she pressed on through the messy middle. So my question for us today is, uh, will you join the crowd of witnesses and press on through your mess? Let's pray. Father, we recognize your sovereignty in uh, the gift of your Holy Spirit, and we're so grateful that you give your Holy Spirit today to believers to be with us and never leave us. For we also recognize in the pages of Scripture your sovereignty in appointing harmful spirits to people, that you orchestrate through messiness your ultimate outcomes. And so, Lord, help us as we are in the midst of messes in our world. We see lots of messes in the world around us, and Lord, many of us have messes in our personal lives that some days we, we just want to give up on. Father, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, you, for the joy set before you, endured the cross, and the joy set before you was us. You were looking forward to welcoming us into your presence, to making it possible for us to spend eternity with you. And so you set your eyes on us, and you call us now to set our eyes on you and to follow in your footsteps, to endure through the trials of life, to press on through the mess. Lord, give us strength and energy and faith, we pray. Lord, uh, help us to say, um, I will trust in you through those messes of life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.